In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Jess Seelove, and I'm filling in for Michael. Yep, he is in California skiing, because apparently you have to go to California to ski. We wish him a happy vacation. Yes, and a happy relief from the craziness that is the current political scene. Today on the podcast, we're going to be primarily breaking down the Democratic debate. There was... I don't even know what number we're on at this point. I will point. probably break down. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Uh, it was the last one until the first primary, which is New Hampshire, which uh, by the time we record this uh, recording goes up, we should already know the results of New Hampshire, but we might not, considering what happened with Iowa. Um, but before we get started on the debate, something really big happened last week. No, no. Yes, we're going to talk about it. No. And... Uh, I guess Michael doesn't get to be here for our very last segment about impeachment. Um, And I'm sure that he is very sad about that. Last week, the Senate officially voted to exonerate Donald Trump. The vote was uh, 48 to 52. Yeah. And every single Democrat voted to uh, convict Trump and every single Republican except Mitt Romney voted to let him get away with whatever the hell he wants. So, Jess, I'm assuming you have a few thoughts on this. It's interesting you should mention that because I was thinking today about so many conservatives I know who fall back on the argument of if you push back on how corrupt the Republican Party is, they will often say, oh, sure, but Washington's corrupt. They're all corrupt. All these politicians are corrupt, and I don't like any of them. And what's interesting to me about that is that if you if you believe them when they say that, those same conservatives don't condemn the Republicans for voting along party lines. They expect it. And when people criticize it, they just say, well, this is because it didn't feed into your democratic, um, you know, scheme or whatever. So I, I that's one of my first feelings is just the blatant hypocrisy yeah. that we've come to know and love about this world. Yeah. And also, of course, the fact that the Republican Party likes to pretend that they're the party for the rule of law. I mean, it seems to me like that only applies when it's people of color, because Trump asked a foreign country for help in a presidential election to take out a political opponent. He used the powers of the presidency in order to do it, which was blatantly illegal. And they decided, no, it's fine. And some of the excuses that they gave were just ridiculous. Like some outright just denied that it happened, which I mean, there's overwhelming evidence that it did. But the the ones that acknowledge, yeah, it happened, like like uh, Susan Collins and Lamar Alexander, their whole argument was basically just, oh well, I'm sure I'm sure that Trump has learned his lesson and he won't do it again. Shout out to my homegirl Joni Ernst for being just classic Joni Ernst and coming down 
from her high moral mountaintop in Iowa to tell us mere mortals that she voted to exonerate Trump because she believes that this impeachment process has really scared him onto the path of the true and narrow. And she believes that in the future, he's going to think twice. So that was her reason, a sort of um, second chance, if you will, which makes sense. I mean, this is a woman who didn't have any opinion about Brett Kavanaugh's uh, confirmation up until the morning where he was confirmed. I know I called her office every single day. <laughs> so it, it really does make sense. And I just I just want to give Joni Ernst a big shout out for that. For yeah. being such an impeccable tool. So what annoys me is the fact that the Republican Party is always defending their uh, their belief in the Electoral College under the grounds of, oh, well, we live in a republic and not a democracy. But here's the thing. Republic means rule of law, right? So everybody has to work within the confines of the law. Nobody is above the law. And the issue at this point is that, first off, we have a, a president who was not elected democratically. And not only that, but he's being treated as if he is above the law because he blatantly broke the law. And not only can he not get uh, indicted for it, but he's not even getting impeached for it. So if we don't live in a republic and we don't live in a democracy, then what the hell do we live in? So at this point, it is time to bid goodbye the entire impeachment debacle it has been a complete sham from the beginning and not because of not because of it being uh, the wrong move by the democrats it was a principled stance by the democrats because the republicans tried everything they possibly could in order to cover it up and the important point here is that we can't remove the president through the republican aspect of our uh, country. We have to use the democratic aspect. And that means that there is another possibility that the president could win the electoral college, but lose the popular vote. So in order to win, we can't just convince a majority of people. We need to convince an overwhelming majority of people. We need to all come out. We cannot be complacent. We cannot sit this election out. We have to get out and vote to get this monster out of office. And that brings us to the primary. Oh, Iowa. I don't miss you. <laughs> I miss Iowa sometimes. No, I miss our house and I miss our friends. I don't miss Iowa itself. Yeah. No sun for months. The sun was gone. The sun just left. That's why the Iowa caucus was so messed up. It's because these poor people who live in Iowa don't have sunlight for months at a time. Yeah. Check on your Iowan friends. Check on your Midwestern friends. They're not okay. Yeah. So the final results seem to be in. And Pete Buttigieg has won the most delegates by just one delegate. And Bernie Sanders won the popular vote by about 6,000 votes, which, you know, you got to love when an advocate for the popular vote ends up losing the popular vote, but still winning. Um, and I got to say, I think the principled thing for Pete Buttigieg at this point would be to basically say, look... I'm glad that I got the most delegates. I believe I am the best candidate. But at the end of the day, Bernie did get more votes. And he, because of that, he really should have gotten more delegates from this. So Pete Buttigieg is not going to say that because he is a big proponent of um, anything that gives him an edge. 
And you could kind of tell, considering the fact that he went to New Hampshire and told people there before any of before the results were at least conclusively in or even in a majority of the polling places were in from the Iowa caucus, he was claiming victory. Yeah. And he did know that it would help him. And it did. It did help him. Yeah, he has definitely surged in New Hampshire. But what I'm saying is I would actually have a lot of respect for him if he took that type of principled stance. Um, I mean, it wouldn't make me vote for him, but it would make me respect him a lot more because that would be an actually principled stance. So I'm reminded of when we talked about Pete Buttigieg and how, you know, just a couple short years ago, he was saying that no one should be able to spend as much money as his uh, corporate donors have spent in the election and, and how, you know, I think he sort of said something that we can't win this way we need to fight it and now it seems like uh pete pete's gone to the dark side a little bit on that he definitely um, if i'm being generous i think he believes he can slay the beast from within its belly yeah but he is fully assimilating into some of the really really corrupt aspects of our system yeah uh, and we will talk about Pete Buttigieg later. Uh, at this point, it's time to go ahead and switch gears to talk about the debate. As we have done, uh, we're going to do it candidate by candidate, starting from who is polling the worst to who's polling the best, which uh, means that we will get this started with Tom Steyer. Ugh, who? Tom Steyer. No. <laughs> Go away. So Tom Steyer is an interesting individual. No, he's not interesting. That's the thing. Okay, well, his strategy is interesting because his strategy during the debate seemed to be agree with everyone. Oh, yes. It was very much we are all the same. None of us are any different. But you should also vote for me because I'm more the same than the other samers. <laughs> you know what? That is probably the best description I could I could have thought of. Um, yeah, like at one reason. point, at one point, he basically th when they were talking about the trade deal that Bernie voted against, but like uh, Warren and <laughs> uh, Klobuchar voted for. Uh, Bernie was talking about the fact that. We need to have a trade deal that addresses climate change, that addresses workers' rights. And then Warren retorted by basically saying, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that, but this was something that we could have in the meantime. And I've said, I've talked about this on previous podcasts. I'm not exactly sure where I fall on whether it's better, whether it was better to vote for something so you could get some good now for a few people than to uh, wait for something better, hopefully, when we have a Democrat in, in, uh, in office and a Democratic Senate. Um, but what I thought was funny was Warren was like, okay, we need to have this deal because we need to have these relations with these other countries so that um, we can already fall back on that when we start working on climate change. And then it went to Steyer and he was just like, oh, I agree with Bernie. We do need to work with other countries in the meantime. I was like, no, that that's what Warren said. Yeah, again, I think it's really just another billionaire trying to um, 
prove that he's the one who can lead our country. And and whether or not you want to believe that billionaires like Tom Steyer and Mike Bloomberg are actually well-intentioned, the fact of the matter is, is that given that they, I mean, especially for Tom Steyer, who has no real political background of any note, to jump in there and um, call Donald Trump absolutely unqualified while insisting that he is because he's a billionaire shows that same kind of entitlement that people who are billionaires have. I've said this to a lot of people who just don't really get it. Most people don't understand what a billion dollars is. You can't understand it. But if you have billions of dollars, you aren't having you don't have that amount of money so that you can buy any specific things. OK, you're good. You you were tapped out, you know, in your multimillions. There was nothing you couldn't buy at that point. What you want billions of dollars for is to control the world around you. It's to have complete control over how you make money, how others like you make money. And when you hold all the resources, you hold the power. And that's just it. It doesn't matter what your intentions are. You know, you're a well-meaning, if, if you had your way, you're a well-meaning tyrant. But that is why I, I don't feel sorry for Tom Steyer. I don't think it's cute that he's running. I don't think it's brave. I think he needs to sit down and shut up and listen to the people who actually occupy this country instead of him who occupies the highest echelon of the country. And look, I would have a bit more respect for him if he actually took direct stances like and positioned himself. It, it, it was clear about where he positioned himself within the Democratic Party. But all he really does is just talk about how much better the other candidates are. And it's like, then why the hell are you there? Oh, I know why he's there. It's to detract from the more progressive candidates. I mean, it's really to go in and, and uh, take up space that could otherwise be used to really exemplify the differences in policy for these other candidates. See, I don't think it's quite that uh, mastermindful, if that's a word. Um, I think that he's just in it because he he truly thinks like, I mean, when you have a billion dollars, when you have that type of power, I mean, it's liable to go to your head. You think it's a sense of entitlement? Yeah, you think, you, well, you think it's a sense of... I certainly I think, it's a, think that's part of it. I think it's a sense of entitlement, but I also think it's a sense of someone like me who has made this much, much money must be really, really successful and therefore really, really smart. So I think he genuinely thinks that he is good for the country. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, to the extent that his money and wealth does not go to his head, I think that he does actually have good intentions. I really do believe that. You might disagree. Uh I think that sense of entitlement, again, comes from the idea, and whether or not he believes it's moral, it's that idea that because he owns most of the resources in this country, then he gets to decide what happens. Yeah. You know, and, and it just, it to me goes back to that really, really old uh, idea from, you know, if you think back to serfdom, it was the landowners who got to make these decisions for other people. These these poor people who didn't own land, they didn't really know what they needed. And you had this divine gift because you had all the resources. And why would you have it if you weren't meant to control it? Yeah. The last thing that we'll say about Steyer, because we don't want to spend too much time on like one of the truly long shot he, he's not even a long shot there's no shot there's just 
like Who? it's not long or anything. Um, is there was there was one moment where he called out Buttigieg's inexperience. And look, I have yeah. concerns about Buttigieg's inexperience, but at least he does have government experience. At least he has executive experience. Like you, the only you were the only other person besides maybe Andrew Yang that has no grounds to claim that Buttigieg does not have adequate experience. Now that's not a, that's not a dig at Andrew Yang. Um, but if you're going to go with experience, you're not the person to call him out for that. Yeah. I'm ready for him to be gone. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to Andrew Yang. Yeah. He really didn't get to talk that much on Friday. I was so disappointed that Tom Steyer spoke more than Andrew Yang. Yeah. It was utterly ridiculous that Tom Steyer spoke more than Andrew Yang. Yeah. He's obviously pulling lower. A lot of people don't really even, I mean, if you had to press someone on what his policies are that he really wants, I I think you'd have trouble finding more than five. Yeah. And I think you'd be guessing at four of those. Like, again, the... I've said this before. The thing that I like about Andrew Yang is that you can immediately ask, why is he running? And the answer is simple. Universal basic income. Mm -hmm. He has a specific reason, which he referenced a lot. Like he did. And, and, and part of me thought sometimes that it almost seemed like he didn't know how to tie it in. I think the universal basic, basic income as the, the pillar of his candidacy. I can understand it. I can even respect that that's where he's coming from. But I think he really struggled to tie it in. And I put that down to a lot. The fact that he has been closed out. He was closed out of the last debate, but we had Amy Klobuchar and Tom freaking Steyer. Yeah. But no Andrew Yang. And Andrew Yang barely got to talk last night. And yeah. so I think he really thought... I mean, I'm not sure if this was a strategy or not, but it seems like maybe the thought behind it was just that remind the people who I am and what I'm for every time. And I did notice on on a wider note about the whole uh, debate, it was an interesting setup. It almost seemed at several times that the candidates had no idea when their last time would be their last time speaking because I heard sort of closing statement type um, statements about three times from everybody. Yeah. Um, so what I think, the reason why I think he kept tying almost every single question he was asked into universal basic income is because I think at this point it's clear to him that he's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's, he's not, he's probably not going to get any delegates. He might get a few, but I think uh, he's also kind of being shut out that way. Yeah, he is getting shut out. So I think, that he viewed uh, the debate as a chance to push his policy. You know, kind of like how um, uh, Jay Inslee mm-hmm. made sure to focus. Like he he had yeah. he didn't have a prayer, but he was running specifically uh, on climate change. He was the climate change guy, and that's one of the reasons why I really respected him. Even though a lot of his other policies were uh, a bit centrist for my taste, he was running on that policy, and he was trying to make sure people knew it. And I think that's what Andrew Yang was doing. Yeah, I have I, I have some deep respect for Andrew Yang for going up there, even, you know, sort of knowing you won't win. I'm not a sportser, but I understand um, a lot of people who compete in, in I, mean, I guess, any competitive event 
knowing when you're not going to win and still going on and giving it your best shot is, I think it takes a lot more fortitude in yeah. some ways than when you have a chance. So I, I really respect Andrew Yang for going up there and using every bit of his time to give an intelligent answer. And even if I thought that it didn't always exactly match up with what they were talking about, I can understand why he did it because he truly, I, I'm pretty sure for the first 30 minutes, he didn't speak yeah. <laughs> maybe once or twice. Yeah, um, I was, and there there were several moments where, where I was very happy with him uh, as well. Um, I thought, I really liked the part where he called out Buttigieg and said, Trump is a symptom of the problem, but he is not the problem. Yes, I agree with that so much. And, and I often talk with people about that because I, I do feel like so often folks in the Democratic Party particularly those who are more sympathetic to the um, very centrist candidates, when they hear the more progressive people in the party say, I'm, I really want this person, and you told me you were interested in this policy, so maybe you should consider my person. And if you criticize, if you dare criticize a centrist candidate, they often say, well, they're better than Trump. They are better than Trump. Yes, a can of soup is better than Trump, as I've heard people say. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't criticize what has caused Trump. And, and what caused Trump was that idea of, okay, yes, this candidate doesn't really care about the people who are the most marginalized in this country, or at least doesn't enact policies that really help them, but they're not going to blow us up in a fiery explosion. So they're pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Let's I, save all of the they're better than Trump for the actual general, okay? Yeah. When the general rolls around... I'll say anything. I'll yeah. say, yes, you're better than Trump. You know, great. I'll talk about your virtues and all of that. But stop telling us that we need to back off the progressive yeah. candidates. We are in a primary. And it is not device, divisive to point out the legitimate policy differences that between the candidates. And honestly between the base of the party and a majority of the country in a lot of cases and the centrists of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. That is, that shouldn't, I don't understand why people keep calling that divisive. It's just reality. Yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately, but my, my, the sense of the Democratic Party that we have has changed so much in part because there were people who were Republicans who also have honor and dignity and care for others around them and realized that the way the Republican Party was going was just unacceptable. And those people were strong enough to change and um, open themselves up to a new party. And what that means, though, is that because we folded them in, that means that you have more un, um, more centrist people, people who are maybe more fiscally conservative, maybe sometimes more socially conservative, but overall still far more. I mean, there really are. They are in the middle. They are centrist. It's just that because of how right the Republican Party has gone, it it causes this huge um, yeah. imbalance in our party that we're constantly struggling over. Yeah. So final thoughts on Andrew Yang. I, there's a strong possibility that this was his last debate, um, which I find very sad. 
Uh, I think that he is probably done and he's probably going to drop out pretty soon. But I want him to have something. I want him, yeah. you know, I want him in the cabinet. Uh, I Yeah, I want him in the cabinet. Get I want some him to, experience. Maybe he'll run again. I want him to start again. a political career. I, I want him yes. to, I don't want him to go away. I mm-hmm. absolutely do not want him to go away. Um, so that brings us to Jess's favorite candidate. No. Amy Klobuchar. <sighs> so, Jess, um, what were your thoughts on Amy Klobuchar's performance? Mm. I mean, as the media called it, was this a huge breakout night for her? Yes, um, that. I remember right after the the uh, debate ended, these overpaid hacks saying, I think it was a real breakout night for her. She came out punching I didn't hear her say anything especially new or evocative, even if I'm being my most generous towards her, which is really, really hard for me to do. All I heard for the most part was, you know, yeah, Warren and I, we're both the women up here and we're doing it. Yeah. And also, but the American people don't want to hear us argue about our differences. They want to hear somebody be reasonable and collected and calm, which... I think Amy Klobuchar sees herself as some unifying force and it's creepy. I mean, ask her staff, you know, (laughs) I have heard that. Yes. Um, yeah, I, she talked way too much though. And it was not fair that she spoke as much as she did. Yeah. I, I thought it was ridiculous how little like, did she talk more than Warren? Because I felt like that was happening. I was really certain during the debate that Klobuchar was speaking more than Warren, which is absolutely ludicrous. Warren is leaps ahead of her in terms of where she is in the ranking. And it's absolutely ridiculous to think of Klobuchar and Warren being on the same um, level of talking time. But also for Klobuchar to surpass her is just to me really really um trying to sell that centrist narrative okay so elizabeth warren talked for 15 minutes and 59 seconds uh klobuchar talked for 16 minutes and 21 seconds uh Buttigieg for 18 minutes and uh 16 seconds bernie for 19 minutes and five seconds and biden for 19 minutes and 35 seconds so she did talk more than elizabeth warren not by much but I do think it's ridiculous how much, you know, looking at this list now, I think it's ridiculous how much less Warren got a chance to speak than Buttigieg. Like, than Buttigieg. That is, that to me is... I mean, I understand uh, that he did well in Iowa, but he's still not polling that great uh, nationally. I, I have mean, all kinds of conspiracy theories in my head. I mean, the most recent... Uh, the most recent national poll has Warren at 14 and Buttigieg is at 10. So I I felt like I did I definitely did feel like Elizabeth Warren did not get a chance to speak as much, but I mean we'll we'll get to Elizabeth Warren later. So still having heard the breakdown and hearing that she only spoke 22 seconds more than Warren, which is you know pretty negligible amount, I still feel that it was an inappropriate amount of time that Warren should have had more time considering where she is in the ranking. And I definitely agree with you that she should have had more time than Buttigieg. Yeah. Uh, And also Klobuchar made that point that she's made before when they were having the Medicare for all debate, where she said that this is a fake debate. 
So what yeah. are your thoughts on that? You know very well that I do not believe that's a fake debate as someone who doesn't have health insurance and can't afford health insurance. I believe this is a real thing, Amy Klobuchar, and a lot of other people feel the same way. I I, I would talk, I guess I would refer back to some of the things I said the last time we were breaking down a debate where I talked about how if Amy Klobuchar wants to be a sort of champion of the people and especially of women, she's really going about it the wrong way, considering how often people in poverty and women are negatively impacted by the lack of adequate health care. So the idea that this is a fake debate and this isn't happening is just pure gaslighting. It's what it is. She's gaslighting with a smile on her face and some people think it's just cute because she's got that little Midwestern accent, but it is just gaslighting and it's pretty foul. Yeah. Um, one thing I would like to point out with this, which I think is super important to discuss is she seems to be delegitimizing the conversation about Medicare for all within the Democratic Party. And let's just let's just take a look at that for a second. So as it stands, three fourths of the Democratic Party support Medicare for all and 56 percent of everyone support it. And that's 56% compared to 41% who oppose it. And that's actually up. That's actually up from uh, from November. In November, it was 53%. And that's according to the Kaiser Family Foundation. So what she's saying is that a policy, which is supported by quite a decisive majority of the country and a vast majority of the Democrats, is just a fake debate. And the point that she's making is the fact that there are a lot of elected Democrats who do not support it. But the thing is, that's the point. That's why we need an insurgent candidate like Bernie Sanders to make sure that the Democratic Party is representing not just the Democratic Party, but a majority of the country. It is unthinkable to just disregard that. That is the point of a, an insurgent candidacy to remind the Democratic Party they work for us. Klobuchar, to me, really reminds me of Avatar, The Last Airbender, that one girl who just kept saying, there is no war in Bossing Se. <laughs> just consistently, um, you know, or if you want to use the more approachable uh, metaphor, our legs are being pissed on and they're telling us it's rain. Yeah, yeah. Once again, Amy Klobuchar has embarrassed herself and the media has embarrassed themselves by pretending somehow that she's this huge breakout candidate they've done that the last three debates and her polling has moved nowhere uh, and i i think that every time i hear them trying to convince us that we didn't see what we just saw the emperor has no clothes has <laughs> many meanings and we've talked a lot about that comparison with trump but if we want to be fair then you know we have to admit that the democratic party has its fair share of that too you know we have the fair share of people who are admiring amy klobuchar as um, being, like I said, an evocative candidate, and she truly isn't. And um, we have to acknowledge the hypocrisy in our own party. 
All right. I'm done talking about her, please, man. <laughs> so let's talk about your other favorite candidate, Pete Buttigieg. Um, yeah, I, I talked a little bit about how I thought he was very premature in celebrating his Iowa victory, but I guess he did end up coming out on top due to some math that I can't understand. And I think you've explained this to me and I've read two articles on it. But I I really didn't think he did an excellent job. He he said a lot of the same things, but I I truly heard a lot of I'm young, which makes me fresh and and almost as if that makes him progressive without him saying he's progressive because I don't think he would ever go so far as to say that. Um he also did focus on his military background, which is the thing that I think he is strongest in when he talks about, you know, the war and the cost of life for people who are just profiteering from suffering. I think that's when he's strongest. That's when I'm ready to say, yes, you're right. Keep saying that. Keep going. Most of the time, though, all I hear from him is a bunch of excuses as to why we can't do something yeah. One thing I will also give him credit for, because uh, this was a position that I did not know that Buttigieg had, and I was pleasantly surprised when I found out that this was his position, uh, was when he came out in favor of decriminalizing uh, drugs. Now, I think that um, the moderators kind of uh, seemed to be trying to... Um, twist what that means because when people hear the word decriminalizing a lot of people don't realize that that's not the same as legalizing decriminalizing means that it doesn't mean that it's uh lawful as as Buttigieg explained it means that it is not something that you're going to go to jail for so my experience of that and again I watched this on Friday night so maybe it wasn't as clear then and since then there have been a lot of I'm sure there have been a lot of discussion a lot there's been a lot of discussion around that but it, it did really sound as if they said so mayor pete you have said that you are for decriminalizing and he said no that's not what i said and then he was challenged and they, and they said excuse me but it is on your website and he said i'm not for decriminalizing it i am for making sure that people don't go to jail so i i understand that and it was kind of silly because basically what they did was you said you're for decriminalization. He was like, no. And then they're like, it's on your website. And he was like, no, no, I'm for uh, I'm not for making it lawful. I'm for not sending people to jail. That's a definition of decriminalization. But one thing I will also point out is that a lot of people might not necessarily know that they might hear the word decriminalization and they might think it's the same as legalization. So I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm not going to criticize him too much about that. I'm just, I'm glad that ultimately he has the right position. I think it's good that he has that position. I hope he backs it up because I did hear the moderators discuss and he actually seemed quite caught off guard when they challenged him on the incarceration rates for folks with um, controlled substances and how they went up after he was elected and yeah. have continued to go up. Yeah, that so, was a bad moment for him. So I really, and and I mean, one imagines he had to have expected it, so I'm not sure. I, I feel like if he'd had a better answer, he would have pulled it out. And maybe he just got um, a little bit 
arrogant after his victory in Iowa and just really thought it was going to be a little bit smoother for him. Or maybe he just didn't have time to prepare for that. But it just seems if you're going to have um, pretty moderate views and then have something that is considered more progressive, then you your team probably should have prepped you better. And I don't know, I, I'm still wondering whether he really believes that or he's just trying to scoop up more votes. Yeah. Um, and it did also give a chance for it to go to Andrew Yang, who then explained that he, he was also for that. And he's actually been for that for a little bit. And he descri- And he also describes like his solution is basically don't send them to jail, send them to a mandatory rehabilitation, which... I've heard some people like criticize, yes, but like the alternative at this point is prison. So I think that's a pretty damn good plan comparatively. Let me let me actually push back on that a little bit. Um, again, you know, he sort of said a blanket statement of let's you know do court mandated rehab. So it wasn't quite clear exactly what that would entail and what would be helpful to those people. But our entire culture around addiction and compulsion is pretty, um, pretty backward. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a lot of our, our belief system really does revolve around the idea that this is about willpower and about being a moral, morally superior person. Yeah. And even people who can, assimilate some of the science behind that still believe that if someone can just every day say no just do their little 12 steps it will keep them from ever sliding back into um, abusing substances and also keep in mind that rehabs are not free and if you are mandating rehab for everybody who has these substances well, I, think, I think under his plan it would be subsidized it, he, I didn't hear him speak about that, which he might not have had time to. So, um, but I would also point out that it is another form of incarcerating someone when you consider the cost of perhaps losing their job because they are locked away or not locked away, but because they are taken away from their job, taken away from their family. Some of these people are the primary caregivers of um, people in their lives. So I really think that there are better ways we can go forward. And I think our country, and especially those who are legislators, need to show a better understanding of addiction and of people who compulsively abuse substances before they go around making these blanket statements about mandating it. Because we all know that there is a difference between someone who maybe uh, had a whole lot of weed on them versus someone who is unable to keep their job because they can't control their substance abuse. Yeah. I I mean, it seems to me, though, that the alternatives are incarceration, which is the worst possible solution, which is what we're doing now, or kind of just leaving them in the wind. So I think that so if, treatment- if, we're, if we're keeping it, if it is subsidized, and ideally... Um, it would be under this system, then I think it's a perfectly reasonable system. It does. We do need to make sure that it does take into account, um, you know, work schedules, make sure that we're not forcing people to go to it and thus give up work and then get fired from work. Uh, We do need to be careful about the implementation, but I do like the idea of it. I think having subsidized treatment and care available for people 
is really important. Uh, I just would say that I would be a little wary of someone who wanted that to be mandated because so often those are abused. And we all know that most of the time the people who will be most likely to be mandated to attend these things that make it harder to keep a job and take care of what they need to are people from marginalized community communities. And I don't think we're going to solve that overnight. So I, I, I'm wary of giving that much power to people. Right. Well, it's definitely a conversation to be had. So uh, I think we've probably sp- spoken enough about Pete Buttigieg. <sighs> we kind of went a little bit off topic and talked about Andrew. Yang's I'm okay plan. with it. I'm okay with it. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. uh, we gave Andrew Yang the time he should have had yeah. over Pete Buttigieg. Fair. Up next, let's talk about Elizabeth Warren. Hey, she was there. Um, like I said, she didn't get to talk as much as she should have. I would have loved to hear more from her. That it that would have been important to me and to a lot of others. But at least she did get to speak and jump in on some things. I didn't feel like it was a breakout performance for her. Yeah, that I can say. It definitely wasn't a breakout performance for Elizabeth Warren. Um, and it did kind of feel like she was being erased. There was definitely a certain amount of erasure of Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of my uh, uh, friends who are Elizabeth Warren fans um, really like, like they've been complaining about how, first off after Iowa, there seems to be this focus on, Oh, Bernie and Buttigieg are one and two and Biden is four. And it's like, okay, who's, who's three? Like Warren came in third place. Like, why are you, uh, why, why are you, completely just skipping over her that is significant but one thing i it was hard again to get a feel for who she was in this debate because she got sort of relatively little time and i felt like where she was allowed to break in didn't give her as much opportunity to actually grapple with the other people on the stage so much as kind of add on or tack in but i i i did suspect that maybe she has tried to back off her centrism a little bit that she she was trying to appeal to her progressive base again and uh, i i will say the same thing that i said before you know of course i'd be happy if it were warren progressive person but i think that she's really made some key tactical errors during this run and i think that she's feeling them and i think it's a little too little too late Uh, I think she tried really hard to scoop up those moderate um, people who are looking for like Pete Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar, but she is not moderate or centrist enough for them and that she did make her progressive base distrust her. So it'll be interesting to see if she gets more time, how she distinguishes herself. But what do you think? Do you think she's trying to go back to her progressive roots, as it were? I I really don't know. Um, Because like I said, it it really does come down to she was not given enough time to really say anything unique. A lot of the things that she did say are things that she has said in previous debates. And like, look, a lot of, I mean, almost everything that she did say, I was totally like, I was totally there. You know, I mean, honestly, this debate was kind of hard to get through. It just, it was a lot of the same people. It was a lot of the same questions. But like at the end of the day, Um, I think that any Warren fans out there that are feeling like she's been erased by, you know, the media coverage of Iowa, which by the way, she got eight delegates from Iowa. 
Um, that's only four behind Bernie and five oh, behind not, Buttigieg. She's not done yet. She's not done. And I think that it's totally legitimate for uh, for Warren fans at this point to feel like she has been erased because she she has. And I think part of it is a lot of the media saw her as the, okay, fine, we'll go with Warren, just not Bernie. And so they started trying to prop her up as like the not Bernie candidate. But as soon as Buttigieg started doing well, they were like, oh, well, then we'll take Buttigieg because we definitely don't want a progressive. And at the end of the day, I, I'm i not willing to give up Warren as, uh, as a progressive. It, she has done some missteps and I do have legitimate criticisms of her based on policy and record. But at the end of the day, there are so many other aspects of her record and of her policy proposals that are very in-depth and very progressive and very significant. I mean, and never I, forget, she created the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Never forget that. I want to commend her on her debate performance. I noticed that, uh, you know, so often these questions are framed as a sort of binary you know, to you, senator, former, whatever, you know, they will address the candidate and say, this candidate believes this, you believe, or this other candidate believes this, you agree, and kind of, there's a question in there somewhere of how can people accept this, or or just other ways that these questions f phrased by the moderators are often a very binary uh, question. And these are nuanced topics, of course. And I thought that Elizabeth Warren actually did a pretty good job of uh, defending herself against that. She didn't let them box her into the binary on a few questions. I felt like she was able to give an, a substantive answer. So she wasn't just saying, oh, well, we can't break this down into either or it's not that simple. But she was actually able to give a substantive answer while still acknowledging the nuances of the situation. Yeah. All right. Time to move on to Joe Biden. And yes, he is the second he is the second to last person we're talking about because as of a Quinnipiac poll that just came out today, which is February 10th, uh Bernie Sanders is at 25% and Biden is at 17%. All right, I'll talk about Joe Biden. The first question was asked of Biden, and I did not like it, not surprising. It was, you know, sort of Mr. Vice President, Bernie Sanders is a democratic socialist. Now, do you think that America could stand to have a socialist in office or something pretty much along that lines? And Joe Biden's response was, to talk about how Trump will criticize Bernie for being that, and that will make him a weaker candidate in the general. Which I could understand where he's coming from, except every single person on that stage will be criticized by Trump, no matter who they are. And they'll be are. called a socialist. And furthermore, for Joe Biden to say that, in light of how he is being called by the Trump administration and his cronies corrupt and that because of even even if you disagree with his son's position, Joe Biden is related to his son. OK, Joe Biden is not his son. He is his own person. 
So for Joe Biden to say Bernie will be a liability because there's too much scandal attached to being a socialist was really hypocritical. And what was worse is that he ended up saying something about how essentially Trump will go after everyone on that stage and he will do personal attacks and we shouldn't be trying to find the candidate that Trump likes the most. So it was very much what we've come to expect from Joe Biden all over the place, kind of meandering. And what's a shame is that I've heard he spent quite a long time preparing for this debate and he really didn't seem well. He didn't seem like he was really capable of sticking to it. And I think that's what it is. I don't think it's a one-off or a two-off. I think he really just can't surpass his previous performances. Yeah. I I, I am legitimately concerned for his health. He, he looked uh, gray. Yeah, he looked gray. And, and as I've said before, he's not the sharp man that ran in circles around uh, Paul Ryan as Paul Ryan chased his tail and then fell on the ground crying. Um, he's just not that person anymore. And that's okay. Like... I think that this election is kind of like it's kind of sad for Joe Biden because I feel like this is the last thing that he's going to be remembered for. Like he had this legacy of being the cool Uncle Joe with the cool Barack Obama, like who was Barack Obama's vice president, you know, the the guy that uh, ran around the White House wearing a, a rainbow flag cape when uh uh, marriage equality got legalized in the entire United States. Like that's what he was remembered for. And now he's going to be remembered for this. He's going to be remembered. He's for, a different kind of uncle now. He's a different kind of uncle now. And, and and he did for all that he prepared heavily, at least from what I've heard for this debate, he had several moments where he went right back to his typical Joe Biden. You won't like me when I'm angry responses of, um, you know, a person bringing up pretty fairly for what you're going to get on the debate stage, a past action of his or inaction. Um, and he, you know, shoots back, I am the only one who did this, or don't you know who I am, essentially. Don't you know who I am? I'm Joe Biden. Yeah. And he gets so angry and flummoxed and, and he just elevates everything and I just think that that's really interesting because I know that of course you know if he were a woman he'd be considered uh, too unstable and even Bernie is often people joke about how Bernie just shouts and he he's just all over the place yelling about everything but if you've looked at his performance the last few times especially he really isn't doing that he's still impassioned He's still clear, but he's not just shouting people down. And Joe Biden will shout people down if they dare impugn his honor. Yeah. So. Almost I, as much as his defenders will. So I think that after Iowa and probably after New Hampshire, uh, he's probably going to be done. Um, I worry he's going to cling on until the end because he was asked about that. And, and I he basically said, oh, well, this isn't surprising to me, but I'm going to get the South. I know I'm going to get the South. I mean, I mean, his chances are going to be done. I don't know if he's going to drop out, but I think that his chances are going to like just fade. I think uh, right now, 538 has uh, predicted that Bernie Sanders is going to win South Carolina and I don't know if that's if that's what's going to happen, but he it's looking good uh, for 
New Hampshire's looking very good for him. Uh, Nevada has been looking very good for him. If he wins South Carolina, I mean, Joe Biden hasn't got a prayer. I think Joe Biden also, again, just really struggled with following the tenor of the debate. Um, Sometimes he starts and... By the time he's finished his question I or his answer, I can't tell what the question was. And it's not because he was trying to redirect. He honestly seems to get lost in the middle of it and go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say, and like, look, I understand that this was not substantive, but for a second, it did kind of make me feel good. And maybe it was theater. Maybe I'm being naive, but whatever. Of course it was theater. <laughs> I did kind of like the moment where they asked Klobuchar, hey, so Hillary Clinton recently talked about how nobody likes Bernie Sanders. Basically, is that true? And then Biden just kind of went over to Bernie and hugged him and they kind of have this bro moment. I... I, I, I wouldn't appreciate call that, that a bro moment. You only call that a bro moment because if it had been a woman, Biden would have gone over and kissed her tenderly on the forehead. Ugh. I don't think he would. I, I think he not now. he's not supposed to do that anymore. <laughs> they um, explained. You got to stop. You're a different kind of uncle now. All right. And finally, we have Bernie Sanders. So, Jess, what did you think about Bernie Sanders' performance? You know, I, I thought it was all right, but I still truly, I couldn't tell you who did the best in that debate. It it was more of the same. And I know I said that a little bit last time, but it really was. And Bernie, I think he did pretty well. What I want to say also, and this is a little bit less about his performance and more about um, the other candidates, is the moment in the beginning of the debate after they had asked Joe Biden and I think a couple other people about Bernie being a social uh, democratic socialist and how how will that impact his chances as a president the moderators actually said does anyone have a problem with Bernie being a democratic socialist essentially which I felt like from the moderator's perspective was really unfair. It was basically, let us give you some time on the national stage to dogpile on Bernie, and he wasn't really given a lot of a chance to respond. Mm-hmm. It was very much dogpile on him, and Bernie, we're not going to ask you to respond, which was just blatantly showing their bias. See, he's had a really good response to this thus far, where he has pointed out, like when people say, uh, you're, you you call yourself a democratic socialist, you know Trump's going to pile onto that. Um, his response is like, yeah, I'm a democratic socialist. Trump's a corporate socialist. He's perfectly okay with uh, giving uh, government subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. That's corporate socialism. He's perfectly willing to have a government that works for the billionaires and millionaires. Democratic socialism, for me, is about a government that works for everybody and not just a handful at the top. Now, that's not actually what social, uh, what democratic socialism is. That's what social democracy is. But the way he describes it, the way he explains what his ideology is, is a pretty good refutation of what Donald Trump is probably going to say to him. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think that's probably the best response to that is, you know, these, it certainly seems as if these corporatists or corporations are fans of socialism when it benefits them. Also, 
I think Bernie's stance on gun control is the best on the stage. I know that that is not the way a lot of progressives feel. I know that's not the way a lot of Democrats feel. But I think Bernie it has the biggest chance, and I think this is part of why he is able to get people who would normally only consider a conservative candidate to vote for him when he is very progressive, because Bernie acknowledges that, you know, again, I'm not as well versed in gun law and legislation, but he does acknowledge that just going in and threatening to take guns from people is not actually helping. There's a lot to do with our culture and there are some things we can do and we need to fight back against like the gun lobby. That would be a great start. Instead of putting all our attention on reaching out to the voters and telling them we're coming for your guns, go after the gun lobby first and dismantle them because all they're doing is putting out lots and lots of literature and videos and and propaganda about how the government's going to come into your house and try to murder you in your sleep. Yeah. And also to be clear, the whole government's coming for your guns. That's no longer the straw man that it used to be because you do have candidates like Beto O'Rourke, who is straight up saying, hell yeah, we're going to come and take your guns. Uh, The whole idea of the mandatory buyback for assault weapons, that is the government coming in and taking your guns. Um, and I actually think that Julian Castro had the best response to that when he was yes. pointing out the fact that I don't want to give cops another reason to come into the homes of minorities. I really want to recommend to people who are um, very strongly and instinctively anti-gun and are Democrats, I want to just challenge you to do a little bit of research into the uh, gun rights movement and its origins and really do your research on the Black Panther movement, um, because that's not something that in the United States and especially in the more suburban wealthy areas, we spend a lot of time focusing on in public schools. And it's a shame. It's one more way in which our history is often turned around to make it seem as if the United States is a lot more fair and kinder than it was. But I think that any anybody who is talking about gun rights needs to include people of color and the origin of gun rights. Whether you want to say that we still should not have guns and we shouldn't have them out there, and that's... That is a place you can make an argument from. If you're not informing it with the history of our nation, uh, you know, murdering people of color and those people of color having to arm themselves just to be safe and patrol their own neighborhoods to be safe from the police who were committing murder, that is state-sanctioned murder, you're really leaving them out. And a lot of people in the Democratic Party profess to care about people of color's rights. So I think you need to look more into that and try to understand that. And it will make you better and stronger as an opponent to gun rights advocates if you really want to do that. Yeah. It will also make you hate the NRA more. So we all love that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, um... Uh, you should definitely, if you haven't already, you should listen to our episode about guns. It is entitled Guns, Guns, Guns um, for more of a uh, in-depth discussion about um, the uh, the history. of the. We talked a little bit about the history of the gun rights movement and how that's progressed. I think that, so Bernie Sanders did 
apparently vote against uh, universal background checks. And that is something that even now I disagree with him on. Um, and he has switched a lot of his positions. And I can I can respect someone who uh, uh, switches some positions as he starts to learn, as he learns more information. Um, he also, he's also for an assault weapons ban. Uh, I'm not. Um, I, I talked a little bit about, uh, why I disagree with an assault weapons ban in the guns, guns podcast. And also I think that the fact that he's being criticized for his vote to basically say that, uh, gun manufacturers should not be held accountable, um, for if one of their guns is purchased and used in a shooting, I think that that's also a ridiculous criticism to make. I mean, look, if someone, if a gun is faulty and that causes someone to get hurt, then hell yeah, sue them. But I mean, if someone buys a car, like someone buys a Honda Civic from a car dealership and then gets into it and then crashes into somebody, you don't sue the, the car maker for the, uh, errors of the user so why would we do that with guns i i think that at the end of the day it's it's ridiculous to hold gun manufacturers accountable uh for the people that buy their products and again i would just say since it seems like that's a thing i hear people who are progressive ding bernie on they say i like bernie except he doesn't do it for me because of his stance on guns. I don't think he goes far enough. I get that you might be tired of hearing people from rural areas saying you just don't understand. Um, I get that you also may not care about the history of gun rights. And you may even say that you can imagine a way in which we could take guns away from people without giving police permission to go into people of color's houses whom they know have guns and, you know, hopefully not murder them, which doesn't seem to happen very easily. If you look at our statistics, you definitely should look further into a lot of the rhetoric that white supremacists spout about eliminating uh, people of color or other marginalized groups. And if you've ever belonged to a marginalized group where people have said, you know, we're going to go out there and we're going to kill them, you really do feel like you want some implement that would protect you. Yeah. Whether or not you can understand that depends on your perspective and your experiences in life. But if if you're unwilling to even acknowledge it and to listen and try to understand it, then you're not furthering your cause. Yeah. Um, I don't agree with Bernie on everything. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways he has gone a little bit too far with gun control in my mind. But again, I, I have talked about in previous podcasts, uh, why I do tend to be a little bit more pro gun. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that someone who does come from, if you are someone that likes gun control, that believes that gun control is the way to go, I think that someone who does come from a rural state that didn't really have much gun control until quite recently, I think that puts him in the perfect position to negotiate comprehensive gun laws that do 
a lot of the things that you want them to do. And that's me coming from the point of view of someone that doesn't want a whole lot of gun control to be implemented. Um, I think he's in the perfect position to actually negotiate that stuff. So I, I, I don't think that it was a fair attack, but I do understand why people are attacking him on that thing, um, because that's not where a lot of the Democratic Party is. All right. So final thoughts on the debate. Who do you think, uh, who do you think was, was the big loser? You know, it, it's tough for me because part of me wants to say Yang in that he didn't get enough time at all. He also didn't, um, I mean, this seems to me like this might be his last time, which is sad, but I really think that that could be possible. At the same time, um, I think Warren was definitely a loser of this debate, given where she is. I think she didn't walk away with as much clout as she should have from this debate. I saw her trying, um, so I don't really necessarily put this down to anything she did from a strategy standpoint. She didn't say anything to me that was very incendiary or trying to... I mean, at least last deba debate, I remembered her. I remembered what she said. In this debate, like you said, it was a lot of similar things that she's already said before and they're good they were well written but she didn't really get a chance to get into it and interact with people and it just really felt i'm not i mean perhaps part of that was a choice on her part maybe she did try to avoid directly um, having a conflict with anyone on the stage i'm not sure but it really did seem as if Warren was there. I know that she said things and I agreed with a lot of them. I couldn't tell you most of what she said. Yeah. Um, I would say that the big loser was Joe Biden because I think that he had the most to lose. Uh, because the thing is, he was in his comfortable lead for a long time. He was shook after Iowa. And then Iowa happened. And then like he came in fourth place. He got trampled. And this was his opportunity to basically prove to everybody, hey, I'm still a viable candidate. And he could not have a performance the way that he has had. I see your point because at the end, I didn't hear, granted, I don't stay and listen for the full commentator breakdown, <laughs> but I didn't hear a lot of them saying, oh, look at Biden. He's still with it. He's still sharp. I think they kind of gave up on him. And I think it seems it did seem like he was tap dancing pretty hard for a half empty theater. Yeah. So what about the winner or winner? <sighs> what do you think? I mean, again, I just don't know. This didn't, I didn't enjoy this debate in any way because it just didn't seem to have any really, really interesting brand new um, things. But how many questions can they ask when they have the same group up there? But I, th I think one of the people who ended up winning just in terms of the time and uh, her ability to make an impact was Klobuchar. As much as I dislike it, I can't get some of the things she said out of my head. I think she definitely managed to steal some space for herself. And uh, I, I, do, I do think that Bernie maintained pretty well. And also, I do think that he um, did some really nice pivots, not to avoid a question, but to rather interrogate um, further into issues. Like he, 
there was a point where Tom Steyer said something about how we haven't even talked about people of color yet. I think he thought that was a breakout moment for him and it it sounded very um, rehearsed and tacked on and, and didn't really have any sincerity and oomph to it. And I think Bernie actually did the opposite where he was able to interrogate something and have a harsh critical um, take on a question and, and sort of not fully pivot, but say, why aren't we talking about climate change? How can we enter an agreement that doesn't talk about climate change? People are going to die. Do you actually sit and think about the fact that your grandchildren, He's and he said, you know, I mean, he can say things in a way that I really believe it when he says, I have grandchildren and I am worried about them and I'm worried about their kids surviving. And and that is, of course, it's the, oh, I have a family too from the politician. But at the same time, I do think that he's pretty good at using that authentically. Yeah. Um, I would say that uh, when you get to the point where you are kind of the favorite and at this point, Bernie Sanders is the favorite to win. He's uh, He has gone ahead in the polls. Uh, he is now the front runner in the polls pretty decisively. Uh, he is considered the favorite by 538 to win every single state except Delaware and Alabama, the last I checked. Um, and what you really need to do at that point is make sure to maintain and he did that. I think, yeah, I think that's one thing that I have always appreciated about Bernie is that unlike some of the other candidates, he doesn't get a sense of entitlement and a coasting um, sense. I think that Biden thought he had this whole thing in the bag and everyone kept telling him, you've got to step it up. And he kept saying, ah, oh, get it next time. I'll get it next time sport. I think Buttigieg now thinks that he's got this in the bag and I'm waiting for him to mess up. And yeah. um, I think it will happen. I think that Buttigieg is much too sure after Iowa. So I, I do think that I appreciate how, or I really, I really appreciate how Bernie manages to keep going. He just puts his head down and keeps at work and he doesn't look up for a bunch of praise and accolades because he doesn't have time for it. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and end with highlights. Jess, what were your highlights this week? My highlight is that I got to see three of our four lovely nieces, and they were pretty excited to see me. Not as excited as they were to ask me where you were, but, um, <laughs> and I also got to, oh, and I also got to see some of my friends this week. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. My highlight is definitely, uh, I got to go to my, uh, undergrad school and judge a competition this last weekend. And it was really good to see, uh, the old team. It was really good to see, uh, the, the old campus. And, uh, I hope to be back there soon. All right. That is our episode. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you have a wonderful week. Bye. Bye.